Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. People are always nudging us to do this anyway. And what is it? So... Uh, so yeah, ask. so so uh, I thought um, it would be a fun thing to do, uh, and I'm going to run you through my top ten from my favorite year, my favorite year for movies. 1959. Is that yours? <laughs> no. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be shocked. You're gonna be shocked. Have we never discussed this at all? My favorite. Year? Not not uh, well. The, what we discussed the movie, but um, no, 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 you've no. never chosen a particular. Uh, I have, um, uh, at various times, if you call me at a different time of the day, I'd say, uh, I would present this as the best year for movies, but I'm feeling, um, so it beats uh, 1939. I'm feeling humble. So I'll just say it's my favorite year, <laughs> but, uh, no, my, my favorite year. Um, and I think probably safe to say from, from our lives, you have to pick one from your lives when you do yours, it'll have to be one from when you were around and, and going to movies and noticing this yourself, as opposed to, uh, you know, going back and looking, but mine, mine is 1992, mm -hmm. which, um, and I remember at the time about halfway through the year, starting to notice that, that, uh, there was a kind of embarrassment of riches this year. And I don't, I don't know why I feel like there was a, uh, kind of wave in the eighties, you know, now that now that everything sort of settled and all the dust is settled and the dross has disappeared, you can see that the '80s was a pretty great decade. But at the time, tell me I'm wrong, Joe. It 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 felt like we had lost something, didn't you think? Were you a little bit of uh... well, it was it, you know, it was it was the turning of the uh, of the decade, and uh, we we all, you always stop and take stock when 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 the decade turns, and you go, okay, now we're in the. Now we're in the '90s. I, I mean, I, I told you when I first showed Gremlins Two to Steven Spielberg, he, his first words were, "Is this what the '90s are going to be like?" <laughs> and he, he, and he, he didn't he didn't mean it as a compliment. <laughs> oh no! But he was right. No. It, 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 the '90s were like that. Uh, the, the '90s were, and 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 the Audis have been as well. Um, I'm not sure that's uh, <laughs> just our lives, not just the movies. Um, but no, no, I just, I feel like, you know, cause the seventies are such a formative era for me and they were such an amazing decade. And it just seemed to be the kind of, we started to seeing this kind of thing in the eighties that, um, you know, if you want the star Wars vacation of, of cinema, the blockbuster occasion of, yeah, that, that whole thing had kind of happened. And, um, it, it, but I, I felt like 1992 was like, it started to feel like the seventies or somehow coming back. And in retrospect, it feels to me like. You know, because all these movies came out 
I mean, 92, you know, Bill Clinton came in there, there was this big change, but they were all made uh, during the Bush administration, which was essentially the third Reagan administration. And there was this kind of, you know, I think people, even people who sort of ostensibly on the surface were cheering for all that kind of knew it was pretty sad. And that we were, we were in dire straits and there was this kind of, I don't know, I feel like, like Watergate was this very kind of, it was a sort of this white hot shock out of nowhere. It was like, oh my God, the government's corrupt. Everything's terrible. Let's get rid of that guy. And now everything will be fine again. But under Reagan, it all became kind of institutionalized. Like by the time the eighties were done, we all just took it on faith that your government is corrupt. You know, U.S. military is only used to like destroy poor brown people in other countries. And, and then maybe we're the bad guys. And it was all this kind of, you know, whereas Watergate was a sort of one moment, you know, the Reagan eighties were an entire decade of this, this weird sadness or something. Cause all these movies, at least most of them feel like they're kind of infused with not even cynicism anymore, just a kind of knowingness of, of, of the state of things. I mean, some of them have no heroes at all, although some do, but um, um, I, I will, I will start and we'll work our way up. Uh, I think I'm sure you like some of these. You may not love them all. But um, uh, I would start with Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. Put that coffee down. We're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. First prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Second prize is a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. The incredible cast. Times are tight. It's tight. Pressure's just too great. The memorable lines. A, B, C. Always be closing. The explosive drama. You're hot, so you think you're the ruler in this place. You want to shut up! Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. They stole the leads, they stole the phones, they stole the. Oh. When I talk to the police, I get nervous. You know who doesn't? Oh, who? Thieves. I was a big, it's really funny. I went back. I was a big, I was, I was as excited because James Foley directed as I was anything else. Because I had loved uh, After Dark, My Sweet, which. Um, I went back and watched recently and was kind of horrified to find it not stand up the way I had hoped it would. Hmm. Um, I prefer to let that movie live in my memories. And obviously such a writerly film, it seems kind of, you know, you don't go see Glenn Gary Glenn Ross for the direction, but it is, it is. No, very but it does. It's, it's a visually, it's a, it's a pretty striking movie. I mean, it almost looks yep. like it was shot by Mario Bava. Hmm. Good call. Yeah. Some of those colors, you're right. It's got a kind of giallo-esque color palette, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, uh, no, that's, that's very true. And, uh, but it is, it is beautifully directed, but, but that script, man, I, I had never, I'd never seen Mammoth in, uh, on Broadway. I'd never seen any of his plays. That was the old Mammoth. That was the old Mammoth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let us, let us. Uh, <laughs> Pre-conversion. Pre-conversion. But you know, it was always there. It's not like the guy was some, you know. No, he wasn't I mean, hiding at, anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's just his his conversion to a white wing not has never struck me as uh, uh, particularly shocking. You know, it's not like it's not like Rob Reiner all of a sudden becoming a mega <laughs> shut in. <laughs> it's it's he always it's kind of wacky ideas, especially about women. But um, yeah, no, the writing is just so exquisite. And then that scene, I mean, I'd actually read some of his stuff, but I'd never seen it mounted before, and to see it with that incredible cast. Um, was just, I think I, I, I went back the next day to see it again. I could not believe what I was seeing. I mean, just some of the, some of those speeches, some of that dialogue, all of that dialogue. And I, to this day, I have a, a couple of friends where uh, we use Kenilworth as a, 
as a code for having a conversation that's just simply going on too long. We'll say Kenilworth, which we call was the secret word to, uh, uh, between Pacino and um, Jack Lemon to get a client out of the room. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just exquisite. And it's there's so many kind of pale imitators of Mamet. And it's always fun to go back and see the real thing and realize that like he's He's so much better than than everybody who tries to be him. That um, uh, there's just something indescribable to his to his dialogue when he's good, when he's good, when he's firing on all cylinders. Um, I have a friend who wrote uh, a version. Should I should have I should have dug it up for this. Uh, my friend Michael Theobald wrote a hilarious version of Alec Baldwin's speech, and it's Batman talking to the Justice League. <laughs> like, how did I get here? I came here in the Batmobile. <laughs> But it's so memorable, and it lends itself to parody so easily. But but I think that's kind of the mark of um, kind of just really great style. Yeah, you know, it's also very entertaining. I mean, it's oh, it's everybody's so at the top of their game, and it's just yeah. a pleasure to watch. Yeah, and and I think the scene, Al Pacino, uh, it's one of the most violent scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I think where Al Pacino just destroys Kevin Spacey, and it's all just dialogue. You know, who told you you can work with men? Uh, it's it's I, I'd rather have watched him just hit him in the head with a lead pipe over and over and over again. It would have been, <laughs> it would have been less uncomfortable, less cringe-inducing, you know. But um, oh my god, what, a, what an amazing, amazing piece of work! And I can go back to it any time. But it is. It's like there's no real, you know, they're all anti-heroes at best, anti-heroes and villains, and they're all small, small, terrible, sweaty men, sort of, you know, scrambling to get ahead of each other. The lure of the steak knife. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, it, it, it is amazing. And it does, it just feels like such a product of its time, even though it'd been written about 10 years earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, ex exquisite movie, exquisite. Um, next up is almost the exact opposite. A filmmaker I love who up until then had pretty much with one disastrous exception that nobody talks about that you can't even find out video anymore had mostly stuck to kind of contemporary crime stuff, but Michael Mann's Last of the Mohicans. It's not as I imagined it would be thinking of it in Boston. Frontier is the only land available to people. Out here they're beholden to none. As a new land was being carved out of an untamed frontier. Just dropped in to see how you boys is doing. One man, defiantly courageous, stood his ground. I call all our colonial scouts. What in the militia? I ain't your scout. You sure ain't no damn militia. One woman, fiercely independent, followed her spirit. My father warned me about people like you. He said, do not try to understand them. Do not try to make them understand you. Thank you so much. They shared an adventure. It was a war party. That means they're going to be attacking up and down the frontier. That took them from the edge of the wilderness. He saved us. We were alive only because of him. Are those the actions of a criminal? And into each other's hearts. Why didn't you feel when you were the chance? Because what I'm interested in is right here. I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far, I will find you. 
my favorite picture of his. Is it really? Oh yeah, by far. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, it's uh, oh, I'm thrilled. I, I, that's interesting because I still. We just went back and watched uh, Thief the other day in honor of James Caan, and uh, uh, that that might still be mine, um, followed closely by Manhunter. But yeah, Mohicans, it just seemed to come out of the blue. It it in a weird way, sort of in retrospect, after you kind of get used to his films and they've sat with you for many years, it it sort of fits. But after making these kind of grimy movies about compromised, uh, you know, men on both sides of the law, uh, you know, whose allegiance to the law is almost arbitrary, whether or not it's Will Graham and Manhunter, who could just as easily be a serial killer or, you know, James Caan, who's, who's uh, you know, a criminal just sort of by necessity. But, you know, Hawkeye is just, he's just a superhero, man. He's just like, he's pure good. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's essentially an opera. I mean, it's, it's so yeah. music driven. Uh, that, uh, and it's also the most romantic thing he ever did. Uh, Yeah. And, um, I, I, it's endlessly watchable, which is a good thing because there's so many different versions of it now that, you know, it's very difficult to keep up. (laughs) It's, although it's not like, um, when I watch Manhunter and Thief and I watch different versions, I'm aware of scenes that are missing or have been put back in. But every time I see, he didn't, it feels like the tinkering he's done with Last of the Mohicans isn't as substantive. I, I, I don't know, but it, it's, um, it, it, there's a, it, there's a lot of tinkering. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's like, I, I don't notice any sort of like major scenes that are gone or major scenes have been put back in. Whereas when you watch Thief or Manhunter, there are these things that are just like you know, large chunks that in some ways even kind of change. The well, I think story. he moved a lot of the music around too. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would make but, sense. Uh, I, I prefer the theatrical version, which I saw at the Chinese and was like, uh, I almost didn't ever want to see it again because it was so overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. That ending is so powerful. And it, and it, it, um, uh, it's so funny too, because the source material, I mean, did you have to read that in high school? Uh, we, we did. James Fenwick Cooper wasn't um, big on the list of (laughs) required reading, but uh, what's interesting about the movie is that it's uh, very substantially based on the 1936 version. Oh really? Uh, and the okay. Writers even get credit. I didn't. I, I, I'm sure I knew that at one point. It's been so long. Uh, oh, that's wild. Because yeah, it, they did make a lot of changes. And I remember one of the things I, I did have to read in high school uh, and loved it was Mark Twain's takedown of James Fenimore Cooper, which is just <laughs> one of the most devastating pieces of hilariously bad criticism ever written. But um, uh, yeah, I, it, it is. It's just, and he never seems to have gone back to anything like that since. He sort of. I got it out of the system. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of wish he hadn't. But if he was going to, at least he, he did it. He did it so well. Uh, but yeah, absolutely beautiful film. One I, I can't. I think all these films, I've lost count of how many times I have seen them. The last time I saw the player from director Robert Altman comes a story yeah. of Hollywood. I got a writer in here who's got a pitch I think you ought to hear. I think it's hot. We open outside San Quentin. The Graduate, part two. And Mrs. Robinson had a stroke, so she can't talk. It's going to be funny? Yeah, it'll be funny. Griffin Mill is a hotshot studio executive. Yes. Angelica, Griffin Mill. Oh, hi. Good to see you. Malcolm McDowell. Hi, how are you? Hi, Bert. He's heard every pitch. That's exactly right. It's out of Africa meets Pretty Woman. He knows all the angles. We're gonna have to have a little sex in this. Oh, okay, sure, of course, we'll get it. Slowly pushes her panties down to her knees. And all the players. We're the stars. No stars. No stars. 
Um, what's the, I love the great, uh, uh, when he, when they interrupt Burt Reynolds and, um, is it army orchard? Yeah. And, uh, uh, Burt's just like, I have some schmuck, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was so fun. And so, so just, just joyful and yet such a kind of savage look at this business. I mean, I'm never going to forget the, the bit where they're sitting around trying to figure out how to do stories from the newspapers without having to hire screenwriters. Um, <laughs> it very much feels like the world. Well, and of course, know. you know, considering what the plot is and about, you know, the idea of <laughs> killing the writer, mm -hmm. uh, I can see that must have resonated with you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that he's not a very good writer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody is safe from that film. It's, it's great. And uh, um, I think was that the first, yeah, that was the first time he'd used Lyle Lovett in I think so. Yeah, I was a fan of, and uh, he had such an amazing screen presence. Such a was a Greta Scotchy fan. So. Uh, you, you were not. You were, <laughs> I was, of course. You were, yeah. I was like, who, who is not? Um, and I also remember I had worked with uh, Michael Tolkien's brother Stephen on on a film many years earlier, and he had uh, we'd been location scouting, and he had turned me on to Two Bunch Palms before then, mm -hmm. um, which is still there, which is this great spa uh, out in is, the desert. Is Al Capone's cabin still there? It is still there. The as as I'm, I've not been there. Well, there were no bullet holes. There, there were bullet holes in it. In the Al Capone suite? Yeah. It wasn't a suite. Well, it was a cabin. Well, it, well, it, was, it was pretty. But, but uh, uh, it, so they must have put the bullet holes in there because as far as I know, there was. No, no, no. Well, they were there a long time ago. I, was, I, was, I haven't been there for 20 or 30 years. I don't think there was any actual gangster action at Too Much Bombs, but. Um, but they're a great place. Great place. But it was. Um, yeah. And it put Alman back on the map and you got to have that sort of whole next wave of a career which was which was such a delight to watch because somehow that just made him I, I feel like that movie sort of cemented it because he got to have a bunch of failures after that as well as a bunch of successes but it just seemed like he was making the movies he wanted to make yeah up until the end uh which was really nice um and then a movie very similar to the player which uh i love very much um peter jackson's dead alive On this picturesque block, in this manicured home, something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying is haunting life. His mother. I thought I told you to spray this house. The pigs and pigs did with bourbon. Although she was a little strict. Look at this dust. It's an intrinsic. He never wished her any harm. You look after me. Until. <laughs> your mother's dead, Lionel. Now, whatever mom's got. Who's your mother? Has caught on with the neighbors. You can pray. You can plead. You can beg for mercy. But nothing you can do will stop. Because how do you kill something that's already dead? I can't. That one, I think I saw on like a bootleg videotape. I don't think I saw it at a theater that year, but. Yeah, I don't think it played very widely. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't that have another title as well? Brain Dead. Brain Dead, yeah. I believe. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, but I'd known him, you know, from bad taste. And then there was also, uh, that there was another bootleg video movie that my friends and I had all seen meet the feebles, which was of course his X-rated Muppets takedown, <laughs> which is still pretty outrageous, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's amazing to see, but, but dead alive is, um, the closest I've ever come to describing it is it is like the most graphically gruesome, violent, gory zombie movie ever made that you could show to your 73 year old aunt and she would laugh like a hyena because it, <laughs> it, it just, it feels like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Um, 90 minutes of a graphically violent Bugs Bunny cartoon. Somehow it's, it's, it's so innocent for being so vulgar. Uh, I don't know where, do you remember seeing it the first time or? I don't remember where I saw it the first time. Um, is when I when I met Peter, it was uh, it must have been in 1989 at Universal. He visited our office, and of course, I you know I'm, I'm familiar with his work. He was really a very nice guy. Yeah, um, and um, and then he you know then he made that amazing gamble on uh, on Lord of the Rings, which turned out to be um, um, quite a winning play. <laughs> Well, I feel like, yeah, but I mean, I feel like sort of after, because um, I remember reading that he was going to do it, and a lot of people were surprised, but I thought if you can do Dead Alive and then Heavenly Creatures, you know, if if you can encompass that, that much range, you're pretty safe bet you can direct anything, I thought. Um, but uh, yeah, and I I, um, I, did, I got to work with him several years back where I was, uh, I was the last waiter on the Halo movie that sadly fell through, oh, yeah. uh, fell apart while I was down there in New Zealand, but um uh, yeah, he was he was absolutely lovely and and seemed sort of unchanged by it all. I mean, he's a um, you know he's he's a big happy cheerful movie nerd at heart. And, well, and he's a you know pioneer special effects guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I'm I think we differ on this. You're not a King Kong fan, is that correct? Um, I like the old one. I, I, yes, no, I'm no, I, 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 I I like the new one too. I mean, and I and I really appreciate the where it came from. You know, yeah. it really was one from the heart, but it is so much too long. I mean, there's no reason in the world for that picture to be that long. That story, like the longer that story was told in a hundred <laughs> minutes, you know, uh, originally. And even yeah. then Kong wasn't on screen that much. But uh, it just, it wore out its welcome with me. Not that I didn't appreciate it. Technically, it was, you know, just fine. And some of the casting I thought was a little weird, but... um no, it was, it, it's, I, I, I appreciate the effort, but I, it doesn't, it didn't ring my bell. Uh, well, I, I, I love it. I mean, I still love the original too, but I, I, it was sincere though. It was that attempt that, that understanding that it's, you know, there's a couple generations now that you can't show the old Kong to, they won't see the same movie we see. Um, and it was, I think his attempt. No, it's a period, it's a period picture. I mean, obviously if you're, you know, and, and he, he kept the period, which was smart. Um, and, but it's, it's a, it's a modern movie and it's just, it's like the new Godzilla movies. I mean, they're like, you know, they're technically, they're just fine. I don't know why his head got so small in the last couple of movies. I mean, it's so fucking weird. He's, not, he's a pinhead. I mean, what's with that? Uh, the designs just don't, uh, don't work for me. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put his King Kong in the same. I mean, I think that's, there's, there's, it's, a, it's vastly superior. No, if it was so good, how come he didn't make a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> touche touche what does he do oh no he just did the beatles of course yeah which is unbelievable what a what a what a, what a triumph that was yeah yeah 
I'm 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 holding out for there's got to be like an even longer and his World War One movie you know is also very interesting yeah. you know the, yep. the, his technology that he's he's created um, but um, the, the Beatles movie was a revelation and it's not a yeah, movie that it's was, like an experience that was wonderful and uh, yeah it's, it's the, the World War One thing and then um, I mean I, I love Forgotten Silver his fake documentary oh it's great just, it's so funny he's just so interesting he's so clearly just going where he wants to go. Um, which I like how, how, how many of us ever get that freedom, right? Well, you mean, if you made three Lord of the Rings movies and made a lot of money, you could have plenty of freedom. Exactly. <laughs> oh no, that's, that's good to know. I mean, it's, uh, uh, something to aspire to. Yes, exactly. Make, make three movies and make $300 million a piece. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and then what it, you couldn't do 1992 without mentioning, I think probably the most ripped off movie of the decade. Uh, at least in some corners, um, Reservoir Dogs. Put the gun down! Hear your names. Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. I'm just scared in case I fall off the chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. It's so hard to keep this mouth on my face. I had for years had been afraid to go back to because I thought, good Lord, all this time and all the knockoffs and everything else. And we've all gotten so used to Quentin's, you know style and everything i thought it might not hold up and i, I went back a couple years ago and it, it was just as good as it was the day you know i didn't see that until after i had seen pulp fiction oh really yeah yeah and it's uh it, it's 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 a pretty amazing movie particularly you know where it came in his career and how much money it cost him yeah you know uh and, and but but you know with it with the weinstein uh, imprimatur he, he did get away with a lot more than most filmmakers would have been able to get away with yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was amazing because you know I used to rent movies from him and Roger at the video archives. I remember when they sort of left. That's <laughs> and, what their uh, new that's what their new podcast is about. They're, uh, yes, they're leaving all of the, the movies that they used to sell at the video archives. That, that, yeah, um, I gotta find. I still have my membership card somewhere, uh, along with my Cine family, and uh, um, yeah, it's like all these places that are gone now, uh, uh, and. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's such a love letter to movies. And um, I think one of the confounding things about it is, is it was so frustrating watching all these people come afterwards who seemed to take the message that the way to, uh, the proper way to respond to the success of this film is to try to make movies just like it. Well, you know, you su do, success breeds imitation, obviously. And, it, and it's, yeah, it's, but it's it was not necessarily a, because people you know, want to um, make the same point. They just basically want to uh, make the same audience happy and have, right. you know, be able to make more of those things. But, um, and, and there, there was a spate of pictures that followed uh, both that and Pulp Fiction. And then Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That were, um, you know, they, they intentionally quirky, yep. um, violent. Yep. Uh, and um, I would say about half of them worked and the other half just as if they hadn't seen the other picture. You know, they, they yeah, but they, they, they also do. It's like that's Quentin. You know, he's he's writing to please himself, 
that's that's bottom line is like every, every which I, which i think all, all 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 great artists i think do that yep. you know unless the pope, unless the pope is is paying them <laughs> yeah and he, and he did it in such a way that um i don't know why it sort of i think it compelled people to kind of try to do the same thing and i just kept thinking like he made it look easy yeah yeah exactly and it's like the lesson shouldn't be to you know you shouldn't be going i need to make movies about you know pop culture reference dropping hitman the reference is the, the response should be i should be making movies in which i throw everything i love into those movies and um yeah, but if one of the things you love is it's the movies you're copying from and yeah you're gonna end up with yes. an imitation I, I guess and yet and yet and also he, he in his own way and he, he would get called out for doing things like you know there's there's great similarities to city on fire and so forth but um those were like launching pads, you know, they were not, it's not like he was trying to, uh, at no point is, is Quentin embarrassed if you notice that there are similarities to City on Fire. No, I, I don't, I don't think of them as, as, as rip-offs at all. I think of yeah. them as uh, references. Yeah, I mean, the references and he's like, you know, and in fact, if you're like, if, if you notice that, it's like, hey, yeah. You're, we, share, we, share a, we share an experience. We share an experience. Yeah, we share an affection. Um, my favorite one, it's so funny though, I'd always liked it and I had thought of it as one of the good ones and then went back a little while ago to realize it came out the year before. Uh, there's a one, have you ever seen the um, director named Jeffrey, Jeffrey Reiner, who does a lot of TV now, did a movie called Blood and Concrete. I've heard in, about it, I haven't seen it. In 1991 with Billy Zane. That is so fun and so good. And if I showed it to you and said, uh, this, this came out after Pulp Fiction, you'd go, of course it did. <laughs> 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 and it came out a year before Reservoir Dogs. Um, and I felt that that would have to be frustrating to someone like him who has to go. It's like, oh, yeah, you're the guy who made that uh, Tarantino knockoff back. And then you're like, it came out before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you could say and that that movie landed like an atomic bomb, I think, at least in, in some sectors. You know, I, I, I have no idea how much it made. I don't know if it was, uh, I mean, it was certainly financially successful and cost under a million dollars. But um you know, it, it, it landed in a way that, uh, what's, what's the line about the, uh, Velvet Underground that like their first album only sold 800 copies, but everybody who bought it went off to start a band that mattered, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I think the residuals on, uh, on that restaurant dogs have improved since Quentin, um, runs it every week at the, uh, it's yes, <laughs> I'm sure. I also remember too. It had the um, uh, and running into it, we talked about this briefly many years back during the laser disc days. We were not happy. Literally, the worst laser disc flip in the history of laser disc flips. If our younger listeners don't who know, don't know what you're disc, talking about, yeah, you lasers are great. They were much better. They were like twice the uh, the, the the visual detail of VHS. Uh, but the problem is they could only play a maximum of one hour, and you had to flip them. And uh, some people would think that you would put the flip in a place in which a scene faded out, say, and, you know, there was a good moment to take a break. Uh, in the middle, in Reservoir, Dog, Reservoir Dogs, it literally happens in the middle of a dialogue. It's just like one character says something, you cut, you have to flip. But that's around. probably where it ended up in the reels. That was probably the real change. I don't think no. so. I don't think so. It it Because uh, I, know, I know Quentin was not happy about it. It just felt like whoever had done it had just sort of like hit a switch. You know, at the 60 minute mark, it's like, God damn it. <laughs> um, my next one, uh, this might stump you. It might not. I don't know. Are you familiar with Leolo? Leolo or Leolo? Le oh, yeah. Leolo. That sounds vaguely familiar. Go, 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 go
There's wood in the shed. There's a bird in the chimney and a stone in my bed. And the road's washed out with us the ball It's a uh, Canadian film, French Canadian film, a director named Jean Claude Lazon, um, who had made um, uh, The Zoo at Night a couple of years before, which is a pretty spiffy, kind of stylish crime movie. But Laolo is, I mean, it's exquisite. It's a masterpiece. It's an autobiographical film, incredibly stylish, about a kid in Canada who's, he has these ornate fantasies in which, um, uh, forgive, forgive my graphicness, there's a, uh, in, in his mind, there's a beautiful Italian woman at a market and uh, a guy, I believe, working a tomato stand is so taken with her that he masturbates into his tomatoes. And then those tomatoes are packed up and shipped to the United States. And Laolo's mother, in Laolo's mind, uh, trips and falls at the market, falls into this box of tomatoes and is impregnated by it because Laolo uh, is um, uh, his actual name is uh, Leo Lazon, but he is convinced he's Italian and he insists everyone call him Leola Lazon and that his father must be this Italian uh, tomato guy. But um, it's just this beautiful exploration of kind of like a child's imagination that grows into a writer's imagination. And it's it's not sweet and innocent. It's got some real dark edges. There's the implication that um, there's mental illness uh, running through his family and, in fact, running through uh, Leolo himself. It's got some very dark and scary scenes, but it's, um, uh, it, it is one of the most truthful and emotionally powerful movies I've ever seen um, about a writer. And where would we find this movie? It's on an out-of-print DVDs. It's never, I, I've, every, every couple of weeks when I was thinking about doing this, I looked again, I'm trying to find it anywhere in HD or Blu-ray. It's never been done. Not streaming it got anywhere. kind of lost. The, it's what? Not streaming anywhere. Not streaming anywhere. Uh, Lazon died a couple of years later in an airplane crash while he was uh, on a location scout for his next film, which is so sad. Um, but yeah, I, I looked. In fact, even our, uh, even our sponsors, Joe. You mean Movies Unlimited? Yeah, they don't have it. Funny you should mention that. They're going to love this. They were talking about that. Yeah, you can't get they it have Movies Unlimited. <laughs> you can get everything else in Movies Unlimited. Well, but, tell them they should, they, should, they should start carrying that one. Uh, no, I mean, you can't get the Blu-ray because it doesn't exist. No. There is no Blu-ray of Layola, which is because it's not just that I prefer that medium. It's that it's such a stunning and, and gorgeous uh, movie that... Um, uh you know it, it 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 demands to be seen in that and uh i, I just it, it kills me that it's just sort of it's, it's one of those things that's going to fall between the cracks and no one will ever remember um if nothing is done but it's it's a world-class piece of film and um highly highly worth tracking down even even if only on uh, dvd which which looks fine not to knock it but and movies unlimited doesn't have that either because it's out of print um you know, if you can scour a copy somewhere, go get it. But meanwhile, every other movie uh, we're talking about on this episode is uh, available there, probably in multiple versions, uh, at MoviesUnlimited.com, who are the expert on movies since 1978. They have thousands of titles to choose from, classics, hard-to-find ones, and new releases, too. Uh, so come on out, support our sponsor. We love them. Be good to yourself. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website and 
buy your favorites from hard to find films, imports, and more. Go now to moviesunlimited.com, the movie collector's website where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of thrilled that no. uh, you've never seen it. And I can see why now. <laughs> Managed to stump Joe Dante. Yeah. But it did. It played theaters. I can't even remember how I ended up seeing it. It may have been, were Siskel and Ebert still, were they uh, 1992? Were they still doing their show? It wasn't on. Um, uh, they may have been. It may have been one because I, I, they would rave about something every now and then in a way that made you go, I need to go see that. Um, but yeah, absolutely exquisite movie. Uh, well worth tracking down. Um, next is one everybody knows. I like to think. Especially on this show. I think I've done it on trailers from hell. One false move. There was no fear in Star City, Arkansas. No murder. No killers. Until now. There is violence we've ever seen. What's the story on this Star City? You think it'd be a wild goose chase if you went down there? Welcome to Star City, boys! For Chief Dale Dixon, it's the chance of a lifetime. Follow me! After 10 years of busting people, toms, and stop sign runners, I'd kind of like to take a crack at the big time. These are dangerous people we're dealing with. Get your hands up! Last night, some folks killed a Texas State trooper. Just like they're headed our way, boys. Yeah, I've never seen that. It's exciting before. It's waiting on the bad guys with a kid waiting for Christmas. But his first shot at the big time. I think he looks at y'all like you're some kind of heroes. Well, we're, we're far from that. Might be his last. We're gonna be cool. Um, yeah, really small film. Carl Franklin, uh, an amazing director who um, started with followed Roger. this up. You went started with Roger. Did he? Yeah. How did I not know that? What did he do? I can't remember the movie, but I'm pretty sure he started with Roger. Good lord! Um, look him up. You've got you got your machine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up, and uh, I'll, I'll you can cut that part out. They'll never know that you're really looking at the IMDb, which half the time is wrong. Anyway. Of course, he worked for Roger. He did. Well, let's see. Oh, no, wait. David Carradine could be. Oh, yeah. Score one for Joe Dante. Nowhere to Run is a 1989 American thriller directed by Carl Franklin, starring David Carradine and Jason Priestley, produced by Julie Corman. Yeah. Shop of the Great Fading Papa Michael. I've never heard of this. I've never seen it. I'm going to go track it down. Actually, it's, it's pretty good. It, I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah, he he was just such a, such a great... He continues to be. I guess there's a lot of TV now, but... um. I know off of this, he ended up doing Devil in a Blue Dress, which is just one of my yeah. favorite, favorite crime movies. And it just, it kills me that they didn't get to do more of those because I mean, it's just an exquisite film. Um, well, they missed the period, you know, that the, the, they had that Cotton Comes to Harlem kind of period where they were making a whole bunch of those pictures with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, prominent black actors. And, uh, and there were, I don't know, that period lasted, I don't know, from five years maybe. Uh, and then I guess one of them underperformed or something, and then oh, they or, or there was a regime change at United Artists or someplace like that. Oh, sorry, you know, you're talking about Rage in Harlem, not Cotton Rage in Harlem. Yeah, yeah. 
not Cotton Coast Island. Yeah, yeah. But this one was like big budget. They had Denzel like at his peak. They spent all that money recreating South Central in the in the forties, and it's and it's an amazing film. And I guess it just underperformed and uh, heartbreaking. But but One False Move is amazing. It's beautifully directed. Um, it doesn't. If you haven't seen it, it never goes where you think it's going to go. It's uh, starts out as one thing, becomes another. It's the story. It never of, makes um, a false move. Hey, <laughs> uh, but Bill Paxton is is. Um, I mean, he was a revelation in this. We, I, I, I'd always been a fan. I'd always knew he was pretty good, but it's just such a such an incredible performance in this. Is the small town sheriff who dreams of bigger things, and then uh, an opportunity comes his way that is uh, loaded and fraught in many ways. Um, also written by uh, who also plays one of the bad guys, Billy Bob Thornton. Um, who I also was an amazing screenwriter. I mean, he did a couple of really really good films um, uh, and. And I completely understand why when the moment comes and someone goes, would you like to keep screenwriting or would you prefer to be a movie star, sir? Um, <laughs> what would you know, say? Yeah, I don't know. that. <laughs> I can't blame him for making that choice. Um, he also wrote, by the way, Sam Raimi's The Gift, which... Um, which is, uh, is which is uh, maybe my favorite Sam Raimi movie. Which is, is it? Oh, I, wow. I know, okay, yeah. Which is a, a, pretty, a pretty weird thing to say for a guy who made Evil Dead, but... Um, yeah. Uh, the gift is really that just it came from nowhere to me. I mean, I yep. didn't think Sam was. This is Sam. This is completely out of his daily way. Yeah. And uh, and and Keanu Reeves is, is amazing. He's fantastic. An actor I never particularly liked before I saw this picture. Yeah, um, yeah, and and all starting with that great script. But I, I remember I, I may have told you this story before, but I just remember being at an early screening of, I think it was Traveler, the Bill Paxton movie about gypsies mm -hmm. at the DGA. And um, One False Move had obviously come out a little while earlier. And there was Billy Bob standing off to the side with some friends because he was not, he'd been in a few things. I think he'd been on TV, but he wasn't Billy Bob Thornton at that point. He was a character actor who wrote some scripts for small movies. And no one was talking to him, but I went over and I just thought, oh, you know, let me sort of writer to writer, just tell him how much I worship at the altar of that screenplay. And he was very nice. We had a nice little chat. And I asked him, what are, what are you doing now? And he said, well, I've written the script about a guy who's, you know, learning disabled, who's been in jail and he gets out. And it's sort of a character piece about his friendship with a young boy in the South. And I, I play the, the guy. And I remember, I know to this day, I, I, I hopefully he did it, but I remember kind of going, oh, Oh, well, uh, it <laughs> was nice while it one. lasted, kind of. <laughs> yeah, we were going, oh, good luck with that. That's uh, just walking away going, damn, uh, that's the last of him. <laughs> so, uh, not, not uh, yeah, I can't take credit for <laughs> calling that one. Um, but, yeah, phenomenal film and worth checking out. Also, by the way, and have you ever uh, listened to the, I don't know if you ever do these, the, the, Director's commentary on the One False Move DVD. Uh, no, I haven't. It is it is incredible. It is if you have ninety minutes, if you're about to direct a movie and you've never actually seen one and never been anywhere near film school and don't know what you're doing, and you have ninety minutes, Carl Franklin's director's commentary is film school in an hour and a half. It's just it's incredible. It's a real masterclass. And I think he also has this great voice. And I remember like a year later starting to hear it show up in commercials. So I think I think he ended up getting getting a lot of jobs off of that as well because he has a great voice. Um, should also mention these aren't even in my list, but 1992, uh, the best uh, Steven Seagal movie, Under Siege, hands down, easily the best thing he ever did. 
uh, John Sales's Passion Fish, which is a, a just exquisite, like one of his best movies. Um, uh, and and I think one of those films that I should never have been half as good as it was. Uh, My cousin Vinny, mm-hmm. amazing script from Dale Warner, just incredible performances. Those are like movies that aren't even close to being on my list, but it's like that's the kind of year it was. Um, my last few. Uh, we've had the the director. I think we had any of these people on. No, God damn it. We got to get Peter Jackson on this show. Yeah, that sounds good to me. That would be fun. <laughs> um, uh, gas food lodging. Desert is alive. It's not what you think. For me, it's filled with mystery and secrets. Its sound is the sound of my memories. I always thought after dad left that we'd be happy if I just found a new man for my mom. Especially when I saw Raymond. It was like he walked straight out of an old romantic movie. But mom doesn't make it easy. What line of work are you in, Miss Ellis? I'm a brain surgeon, Raymond. I'm a grave digger myself. I'm digging my own as we speak. Rapidly. Well, that makes two things you do quick. My sister Trudy thinks all she needs to be happy is a guy. You're really amazing. I'll call you tomorrow, Trudy. Oh, Trudy, yeah, baby, yeah. This is your method? You get girls in the car and show them you can make them glow in the dark? This was the first time I really wanted to do it. It was the first time I, I felt anything. And as for me, what's his dream girl like? I don't know about love. Oh, this is gonna be fun. I'm just afraid of not having any dreams. Oh, am I hurting your leg? Just a movie lady. No movies today? Just real life, huh? I don't think everyone lives happily ever after, but I do think you gotta try. Hasn't she been on? Don't say she's been on. This is oh, the first yeah. one we've had, who, who we've had on. Um, the I don't remember how I ended up at this film because it was not the sort of thing that I would sort of run off to. But immersing in a little theater in Hermosa Beach and just being gobsmacked. It was like it was right in the middle of that indie explosion, you know, Quentin and Kevin Smith and Soderbergh and all these people. And she would occasionally get mentioned in there, but I always felt like she got short shrift, which drove me crazy because this film and and some of the stuff she did afterwards um, is so good. I mean, it's just such an exquisite movie. And I think one of the reasons, I think there's an obvious reason she doesn't get kind of lumped in that group, uh, you know, but, but I also think that, that every one of those other filmmakers had a kind of remove from 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 life in their material there was a kind of archness a kind of stylishness uh whatever it was and and allison made such humanistic films that you almost lose sight of like how well directed they are you know and mm-hmm. just just beautifully made um because she's every bit the cinephile quentin is oh, as, yeah. as you know um and but she buries it you know she's not the movies aren't loaded and and uh, uh screaming at you uh, here here are our references I mean, even stuff like, but like the town that Gas Food Lodging is set in is Laramie, uh, New Mexico. And that's one of her favorite movies is Man from Laramie. Man from Laramie, yes. <laughs> there is no Laramie, New Mexico. 
Um, it's wild too, because it's based on a book, but the book is, uh, I was just looking it up the other day. It's uh, set in the sixties, Chicago during the Vietnam war. It's about a mother with three kids living in the city. The movie is present day. It's set in a trailer park in New Mexico. She's got two kids instead of three kids. And by the time she's done with it, there's no, there's no relation at all to this book, which uh, happens more often than people think, I think. Um, but it, it's just so gorgeous. And, one of the things I loved immediately was the casting because Brooke Adams, how many times in movies do people not look like they're related to each other? But like Ioni Sky and Feruza Balk look like they would be Brooke Adams' kids, you know? And there was just something about the kind of honesty of, of the portrayal uh, of this family that that just knocked me out. And she had great parts for men as well, like Chris Mulkey. And um, uh, the one that was a revelation for me was James Brolin, who... You know, he instantly shows up and and he's just this great grizzled, manly cowboy looking guy. And you're you're just you have this Pavlovian response. You know he's gonna be the guy who's gonna make everything all right for these women, you know. And he's just a fuck up. He's just this colossal fuck up. He's just this sad, and he's so good in it. He's so good, and it just makes you so sad for like the fact that he never seemed to really get the opportunity to be a, a great actor, and he's so good in this thing. But um, yeah, it's it's a lovely, lovely film. Um, uh, it, it, and and I was surprised too because I mean, you know me, I like I like I like my guns, man. I like my shootouts and all the rest of that stuff. But um, of that kind of indie explosion, it's that's the movie I went back to the most uh, over and over again. It just hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Um, but we're getting I, I, my my last two have plenty of guns. So, <laughs> uh, but. Um, Someone we've tried to get on the show, I think. Uh, I think you know him. Um, but uh, and the only movie in this uh, crew I can I can say I worked on. I spent one day working in the art department on um, Bill Duke's amazing and now available on Criterion because you couldn't find it anywhere for a long time. Deep cover. The great thing about life on the street is you know how it's going to be. It's always the same. It's always getting worse. On these streets, one color rules. Green. It's not 10 kilos we want, we want 20. Listen, you're taking a lot away for a guy we hardly know, John. Where are you moving this to? He's going to get you busted. No, I won't. On these streets, nothing's what it seems to be. Is that our bust? Yeah. Well, who is he? <laughs> Listen, John here got busted, but he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he'd be the perfect criminal if he wasn't the perfect cop. Did you ever take a look at your psychological profile? You score almost exactly like a criminal. I'm looking for somebody who will go under and stay under. What does he have to do? Buy drugs? Sell drugs? Set up the people that I want to bust? Because there's only one rule in this game, John. Don't blow your cover. Do what you want, but don't try to sit down while I get down. There's a lot of money to be made out there, baby. The more we have, the more we can move. Business is improving. From almost nothing to almost something. Oh, are you an ambitious boy? You're gonna kill us. You're not gonna kill anybody. We're too valuable to them. There's no such thing as an American anymore. No blacks, no whites, no nothing. It's just rich people and poor people. Also, the second movie with a, a Michael Tolkien screenplay credit. But um, 
oh my God. And I know I've gone off on this before and I think I've got a commentary on trailers from hell as well, but it is just everything I could possibly have wanted from a movie uh, that then and now it's an amazing crime story. It's got an incredibly compelling movie star lead. Lawrence Fishburne was like, uh, it was during that period where it was like, he just seemed like he was going to be the big movie star. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's smart. It's suspenseful. It's political as hell. Like you cannot believe what they got away with in terms of sort of, you know, the, the, the story they're telling about the drug war in this film, they're, they're, they're diving deep into the way the, um, the CIA was involved with, with, you know, the crack epidemic and, and doing it in a way that's entertaining as hell. It's, I guess my understanding is that Tolkien's not happy with it. He got rewritten. Henry Bean is the writer who did it. Um, but I, I can't imagine seeing this film and, and having had anything to do with it. I'm super proud of having worked on it for a day. I mean, if I had written the script that got rewritten <laughs> into this thing, I would not shut up about it. But um, Bill Dukes, he's just such a great director. He had such a feeling for actors too. Like, he still does. Um, Jeff Goldblum, I mean, is out of this world. I think it's one of his best performances and the chemistry between him and Fishburne is maniacally great. It's just like, you can't take your eyes off them. Uh, Roger Gwenver Smith who's a great, great character actor. I've always loved is fantastic in this Charles Martin Smith. Like who had he played? He always played these nebbishy guys, right? Was this like, can you think of another movie where Charles Martin Smith plays somebody as like kind of creepy and lizard like and malevolent as he does in this film? Oh, maybe a pet guy. I'm really the kid. But he gets shot immediately. Charles, yeah, but he, that's true. He's, he's just a it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gregory Sierra, who's, who's terrifying in this thing. And, and Clarence Williams, oh my God, is the, is the kind of born-again cop who's, you know, who, who, who thinks he's, he's trying to redeem Lawrence Fishburne, who he doesn't realize is an undercover cop as well. Um, it's just, oh God, one of, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I, I go back to it all the time. And it is on Criterion. It is on Criterion. Which means it's probably out. on Movies Unlimited. Probably uh, for sure at Movies Unlimited. Yes, you can definitely, you can get, you can get most of these, I think, except for Leolo at, at uh, our pals at Movie Unlimited. Um, but uh, yeah, just, just a, just a, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable film. But um, you, did you see it when it came out? Were you oh, seeing, yeah. did, you, did, yeah. and, and did you share that? Uh, that's, well, that's what, you know, and, and Bill uh, was one of our first um, Trailers from Hell commentators. That's right. So you should be able to get him back for this, right? I should be able to get him on the phone, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not as easy as it used to be. Um, such, such an interesting filmmaker. And, um, uh, yeah, but the, just gorgeous, gorgeous film. And then I, impossible to talk about 1992. And I probably should have started with it because it's so obviously going to be top of my list. Um, uh, I mean, I, I love it so much. I, I loaded A History of Violence with references to it. Um, in fact, did I ever, oh, I told you this, we were, uh, deep into, um, uh, I, had, I had done my, uh, second draft of uh, history of violence, which was the, the shooting draft and found out that, um, David Cronenberg had never seen unforgiven. And, uh, I thought, oh my God, well, you've got to see this film. And I, I loaned him, I guess, technically speaking, it's been over a decade. So I guess I gave him cause I never got it back. Uh, my DVD of unforgiven. Um, and, and he did not like it. Well, he, maybe he didn't have a bright enough TV. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Step over to the office and get the bullwhip. Oh, 
whipping? That's all they get after what they've done? Get out of there! It was a matter of honor. They're paying $1,000 to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? You English mob. Outlaws were heroes. Well, I thought that you were dead. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just in Nebraska. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. Was as good as gold. My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. Say what? You don't look no meaner than hell, cold-blooded damn killer. I ain't like that anymore, kid. Thousand dollars reward, Will. Nobody's gonna come. So you still have that Spencer rifle, huh? Yeah. He's my partner. If you don't go, I don't go. What's it come to three ways? Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. Are you really going to kill them cowboys? I do not like assassins. Or men of low character. We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. We all have to come Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Unforgiven. I brought a clip from the end of History of Violence. This is uh, William Hurt uh, when he and Vigo finally confront each other. And this is just my love letter to Unforgiven. So you like that farm life? Milking cows and shit? I don't have a farm. No? Margarita, you live on some kind of farm. Said you could smell pig. Now that old fart would know what a pig smells like. I don't know, but that's what he said. So of course, Clint Eastwood is a pig farmer at the beginning of Unforgiven. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I remember. I mean, I was very excited to see it. Uh, there was something about that poster was amazing. It, there, there was something about that poster, just sort of like you know, Clint standing there with his back to you in the very dark, very shadowy, that uh, something about it to, seemed to sort of herald that this was not going to be the usual. And I uh, saw it at the Chinese, right? Is that probably where you saw it? Like opening day. And um, it's one of those movies that I stayed for immediately uh, a second time. And it just works on every level. And I remember every time I saw it, the, the scene where they shoot the guy in the outhouse, there's always about five or six people in the audience who cheer. And I remember a friend I was with getting really annoyed because these idiots weren't getting the film, you know? It's like, they're not supposed to do that. And I was like, yeah, but that's why the movie's going to be a hit. Because <laughs> you, can, you can appreciate it on that level if you must. Yes, the bad guy got it. It's not, <laughs> not the most noble ending. But... Um, uh, it, it was just revelatory. And to find out later that Clint had, how long he'd sat on that script for something like 20 years. And at one point Coppola had wanted to do it. And do, do you believe the story? I mean, the story is that Clint got it, realized he'd have to age into it and then sat on it. Does that, does that sound plausible that, to you? No, I have heard that story as well. Yeah. I mean, I wonder like that, that just seems, I can't imagine just every now they're just going, yeah, I got, I got that script in my back pocket. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked 20, if him 20 years younger. Right. It really wouldn't. I mean, it is, yeah. it's a, it's, it's a middle-aged to old man's movie. 
Right. But I just wonder how many times he would sort of look in the mirror and go like, am I there yet? <laughs> I would think it'd be right after he saw himself in Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that, which was next. And that's right. I, 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 there's part of me that I'm so torn. I love that film so much. I go back to it so often, but, but part of me wishes he had never done it. Cause it was like, first of all, we never got another Clint Eastwood Western since then. The impact it had on the genre, I, I'm, I'm, you know, there've been a handful. I'm even the good ones sort of annoy me. There've been all these now revisionist Westerns kind of rethinking the genre and rethinking the myth and all the rest of that. I mean, I feel like um, one of the few Westerns that came out afterwards that did not give a shit that did not like in the best way, did not even acknowledge the existence of Unforgiven was Tombstone, which is just a blast from start to finish. There's not a, there's not an ounce of, you know, revisionist regret or anything. It's just a shoot 'em up. And I just feel like the impact it had on Westerns was, was even though there've been some great ones in that vein, um, I, I, I wish it hadn't. And, and I also wish that, that Clint was still, he, he was always a little unsavory. You know, I remember as a kid, like my dad had to lie to my mom that she was, he was taking me to, uh, you know, go spend weekends with him. It was like, don't, don't tell her we're going to Josie Wales. <laughs> you know, these were not, these were not entirely respectable movies that he made and he's become respectable. And like, there's been some great, you know, I love mystic river. There's a few others in there, but I just, I kind of, I kind of miss squalid Clint. Don't you? <laughs> Well, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Mystic Rupert Clint. Um, that that that's, that's doesn't float my boat very much. Uh, in, but yeah, I mean, of, of this stuff, I mean, everybody's got a couple favorites that he's done since then. I don't know, you know, Bridges of Madison County. You just brought up which. Well, that I wouldn't have brought that one up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, then the 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 Hoover movie with uh, you know yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor who looks like he's twelve years old playing playing Hoover. Um, yes. I mean, and they're all technically great. And I, I can't remember the name of the movie, but one of them, oh, I think it was Changeling, I think it was called, where it's, Changeling, it's yeah, 20s, 1920s LA or something like that. And it's, mm -hmm. all, it's all fake and it's completely convincing. It's really excellent um, yeah, story. Yeah. Eh, not so interesting, but, um, but the, and, the, and, the, and the one with the tsunami in it. Uh, uh, oh it, yeah, I didn't. You know what? I didn't even see that. It, it's got a point. Like I would go see Pink Cadillac. I never went and saw the, the tsunami movie. No, the tsunami movie has some amazing things in it. It's really. I, I, but but not. You know, I'm here. What do we What do we have since then? You've got. Uh, oh, uh, you got the mule, and you got uh, world absolute power, true crime, midnight in the garden, ghost, space cowboy, blood work, Mystic River, million dollar baby. Flags of our well, flag. Very I like popular, letters. Million dollar baby. Yeah, yeah. One best picture. I mean, it's uh, uh, letters from Iwo Jima, Grand Torino. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, Invictus. I had forgotten Invictus. I mean, it, it, I just, I, I, I wish. So it's the get my, it's the get off my lawn period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, I would like to see him still making slightly less reputable movies. That's all. It's, um, but I don't know. I'd be willing to give up on well, his Richard Jewell movie was not particularly reputable because nobody went to see it. Oh, it's true. It's the, guy who, the guy who plays him uh, is, is also in Lane's um, Blackbird. In Blackbird is he's yeah. a terrific actor. Yeah, and Richard Jewell's actually a really good movie, but but yeah, I don't know. But but anyway, Unforgiven, top of my list, had to be um, uh, no question, best of 92. But, but I, 
I liked it. I, I made a case, have I not, for that being a particularly good year? Would you? Would you no, you certainly have. I, I wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't have noticed if you hadn't pointed it out. I yeah. I mean, I was in Florida making a movie, so I didn't even get to go to the movies very much. Well, it, it very very sad to me because I'm I'm, uh, and you know I'm not blowing smoke up your ass about this one. If if matinee had come out a few months earlier, it would have been on this list. Uh, it absolutely. <laughs> We're like it came out at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get to go see the the player in uh, an incredibly dimly lit theater uh, because you know people forget that you know outside of the, the major oh, hubs, yeah. uh, the theaters are not particularly well uh, managed. And um, yes. the uh, I, I saw a Woody Allen picture that summer, uh, the, the black and white one, um, set in that narrows it down. The, the, no, 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 he didn't make that many. Uh, <laughs> This set in some foreign country where um, there's a string of murders, uh, and it's got Jodie Foster's in it. Um, what? Uh, what's the name of that picture? Um, uh, well, Husbands and Wives is '92. No. Oh, Shadows and Fog. That's it. Shadows and Fog, and 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 the, it was completely out of focus. Oh no! And, that's such a gorgeous. We, and we film. went to that. We went to the manager and said, "No, that's how they shot it." Oh. Obviously, they, they didn't. That's not what they shot it. I said, you can't, You're afraid to talk to the projectionist because of the union. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we got our money back, and I don't think I ever saw the end of the movie. Oh, no. But I, I, but I, 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 I had seen a... the player at the same theater, and it was so dim. Uh, oh. You could hardly see anybody. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, that, that does. I Yes. Yeah. I, I've been very privileged to grow, growing up in a big city moving to la well, there are a lot there are a lot of other reasons to stay out of florida that's just yeah. <laughs> just one of them <laughs> but yeah i do feel for folks when um you know you're traveling to some small town and you go to a local theater and it, it looks horrible and like but 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 they're able to love movies anyway i mean we were we no, were like, able to watch we, movies we, on vhs i know, you know? <laughs> and on tv with hundreds of commercials all cut to ribbons and we still like yeah. movies, so and pan and scan so yeah, yeah it says something about the art form but uh Probably why we do this show, I would say. At least it's not pan and scanned. That's right. <laughs> we were not. Yes, we were not <laughs> pan and scanned. Uh, well, I think that was a noble uh, venture. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I thought it had to be done. Um, so now you got to go off and think about your favorite here. Huh? Okay. We'll, we'll do that somewhere down the line. But uh, no. yeah, I can't wait to hear that one because I suspect I will not have seen half of them. Not but, if, uh, if I have anything to say about it, you won't have seen any of them. Ah, well. That... <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with uh, a normal guest, um, or at least a guest. and uh, More normal than we are. That's right. More normal than we are. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off 
wherever you get your podcasts.